Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back to the Cyber Law Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Pollack, host of the Cyber Law Revolution podcast. Uh, thanks for coming again. Keep the questions, calls, comments coming. A lot of good topics recently, 410-917-5189, or email me at spollock, that's S as in Sam, P as in Paul, O-L-L-O-C-K, at mcdonaldhopkins.com. Very excited and not excited today because I've got two great guests. I've got Margot Weinrob and Alexandra Bretschneider. Margot is from the Graham Company. Alexandra is from Johnson Kendall Johnson. They are both cyber practice leaders. And thank you both for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. I'm very glad that we are excited, excited and unexcited. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am excited because you both are very insightful. You're very intelligent. You're very well known in this industry, but you're both very mean to me. So <laughs> I'm extraordinarily excited to get your insight, less for all the comments I'm going to get towards me. But that's okay. I'm here for the audience. Um, <laughs> let's jump right into it. So explain to the audience the role of a cyber broker and the value of having kind of that specialized broker. Sure. So I'll take that one first. I think when you think specifically about why to utilize cyber expertise is because the cyber insurance policy is still pretty new compared to so many other insurance policies that have been around for decades and hundreds of years. When you think about that, the cyber insurance policy was first created in 1997, and nearly every two to three years, you've seen a new reason why an organization is buying it. Is it because they utilize technology? Is it because there's industry laws that require it? Is it because they're worried about theft of data? Is it now because of privacy? And really having individuals like Alexandra and myself, whose job is to stay on that pulse every single day, is why our clients can feel comfortable utilizing us as their partners when they're making these large risk transfer decisions. Ultimately, cyber is not a high frequency or hopefully should not be a high frequency coverage, but really high severity. So when you think about what is that catastrophic loss that could occur, you're not thinking about that daily, but you're really thinking about when this happens, how material can that impact be, and utilizing individuals like us who will help explain what is currently changing, what you need to know, and how to feel comfortable is most important. I think that was perfectly said, Marco. Um, the only things I would just add and kind of expand on from your perspective, right, is you talked about how the coverage is changing so much, and that's really a reflection of the risk itself changing so much, right? And and us as cyber practice leaders working for insurance and risk management brokers, we're more than just even coverage experts in our capacity as uh brokers in this space, right? We're, we're actually understanding the risk end to end. What's happening? What types of um, losses are occurring? What are the threat actors doing? What's the impact? As well as then how the coverage is also changing and also responding to those things. So um, I think as technology has just become so pervasive in everything we do, right? Technology is just such a wonderful thing. It adds all these efficiencies and um, advantages. And you look at artificial intelligence coming out next, right? There's so many remarkable things we can do with technology and, and innovation will certainly not cease or slow down anytime soon. But with that always comes risks and managing those risks becomes pivotal, um, especially for businesses in order to sustain what types of 
incidents have been occurring and likely will continue to occur in the future. So it's it's a pretty critical role to partner with somebody that understands this to a deeper level than just your traditional uh, coverage experts, right? You really need someone that understands cyber and technology risk end to end. Yeah, I think you both hit on really a lot of good points. And I think the overarching theme is the specialization of it, right? And it's the same thing I I truly believe in law, uh, broker and in the insurance world, in the forensics. It's a very niche topic where the technology is moving fast, the law is changing, the insurance is changing, and you have to have that laser focus. That's why I really do love leaning on, you know, the two of you or others in the industry that specialize on the cyber insurance. The next question I have is a lot of my clients are coming to me and saying either we don't want to re-up our policy or we don't want to get a policy because we know how expensive it is. And I know last year it was a really hard market. Are we still in this hard market? Um, and if so, are we going to come out of it? And if not, what kind of market are you all seeing right now? So I'll, I'll take that one first, and I've got a couple of thoughts on it. First and foremost, let's kind of go back in time over the last couple of years. Uh, a lot of the insurance terminology that tends to get thrown around during a hard market is a market correction, right? You hear the word correction a lot. And in order to correct something, that means we must have initially gotten it wrong to some degree, right? So I, I think it's always kind of comical that we, we talk about um, market correction without actually acknowledging the fact that we weren't on point, that, you know, we didn't right size this to what the risk really was, and we didn't understand it properly. Um, I think that we have to keep perspective on things. At the end of the day, as, as I talked about technology becoming so pervasive in everything we do and how organizations operate and the dependencies that they have, therefore, this has now just become what is inherently a significant risk to organizations. So therefore, it is just not going to be as cheap as it ever was to insure. This is not going to go away and, and policies are going to have the race to the bottom that we saw in terms of premium back in um, you know the 2010s um, and, and the teen years there. We're really going to see this uh, either stabilize or continue to get more expensive just given the nature of this risk. We are seeing a softening of the market this year, right? So not um, a soft market. We're not seeing, especially in the middle market and below, we're not seeing significant rate reductions. You might have some here and there on one-off situations. Um, I think after having what was overall a good loss ratio for the industry in 2022, a lot of insurance carriers kind of came out the bat and said, all right, we've got new growth targets again for 2023. So you started seeing an increase in competition. Um, and that led to some softening of rates, um, softening on perspectives of cyber hygiene, um, softening on terms and conditions. But it's not soft. So even now, when you look at what's transpired so far in 23, the earlier part of the year, the first couple of months, I would see uh, definitely more flexibility from the underwriting world in terms of, of writing this risk and premium. But now that we're a few months in and we've seen this uptick in ransomware, I'm actually starting to see us even back off from that again now, even in just the last few weeks. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't love the yo-yoing of the marketplace, hard, soft, hard, soft, hard, soft, when we're still trying to build credibility in this product with the buying community. Um, so I, I think it's it's good to stabilize and, and to reach more of a plateau than it is to go up or down right now. Let, let's reach a, a place of consistency. Yeah, I would completely add to that. It is an extremely tough conversation to have with our clients 
when they say, so last year I had a double or triple digit increase. Now I'm getting better retentions. I'm getting a cheaper price. But what happens next year? Are we going to that yo-yo effect that Alexander just brought up? And where we're at right now is, as we're saying, we're really trying to build the credibility of this market and of this insurance product, that it is so important that we all collectively work together, utilize the information that we have, but also recognize this is an evolving threat. It's not something that we can look at actuarial models and loss history for decades to apply as to what we see the next cyber threat is. That's ultimately not just the way we are of an insurance market that we're working in. But the one thing that I think is most important whenever an organization says that they don't think they want to buy a cyber insurance policy or they don't need it or they don't have that risk is, is this cyber is no different of a critical asset and a business risk than your people are with the executive liability that you purchase, your buildings are with the property insurance that you buy, your fleet with the auto insurance that you buy. Why not insure the data and the intellectual property that most important aspects of your organization. Yeah, you both said two really key things. I I think Margo, you said the word evolving. Alexandra, you said almost like redefining, you know, changing our narrative. Because I completely agree. I think everything in cyber is evolving, right? In the law side, there's no case law. Like I can't go back and give you precedent. The same with the insurance. The actuary data is not there. On the other side too, we need to kind of change our narrative around hard and soft markets because you're right, they kind of redefined it and reset where it should be. But I think I'm sure you all deal with this because I just, I send them to you all. The clients are probably not too understanding. All they see is the numbers, right? At the end of the day with their premiums. Um, but shifting a little bit, right? But also staying on the topic of the evolution of these policies. I had someone come up to me last week at a conference I spoke at and said, well, why? I'm not going to get insurance. I don't I want cyber insurance. I know what's going to happen. There's this war exclusion I've read about. Everything is terrorism. Every insurance company is going to use that to you know, decline coverage. And it kind of you know, got me thinking, and I wanted to broach it with you both, because you both have a very intimate knowledge of this. What are your thoughts kind of on the war exclusion and how you get around discussing this with insurers and clients? I think what's most terrifying about this new evolving topic of war exclusion and terrorism is cyber war is not the same as the war we've always seen of this kinetic war on land. It gets far more difficult when we talk about attribution when it's all in this digital space. But I think what's most important to understand is as an insurance community, we all are in this industry because we want to help organizations get back to where they want to be. Insurance is all about paying claims. It's meant to make an organization whole again. So when we think about what we've seen about cyber insurance not paying because of a cyber attack, it's really important to understand what were the facts around it. The big headlines we've seen over the last couple of years were actually not related to a cyber insurance policy. And making sure that as Alexandra and I's role when we're talking to our clients is do they fully understand the story and make sure they feel comfortable with their unique exposure and the world that we're currently living in? That I love to hear from Alexandra because I know she had a, a great talk on this not a few months ago. 
Yeah, it's it's a tough topic. And Spencer, what you described is exactly what I feared would happen as these um, revised exclusion language started to come out. Um, I know, Spencer, you and I were at the CFC summit a few weeks ago, and Graham Newton's been quoted several times in the paper since, referencing that the disclosure of this war exclusion and the change in language has really just been a PR nightmare, that the, the message has just been very poorly delivered to the insurance buying community. And I think that's really true, right? Um, I fully anticipate many organizations to say exactly what you heard at that that seminar. Why would I buy this? Here's the insurance world looking for another out to not actually have to cover a claim when I need them the most. And we have to, um, you know, I hate to quote an underwriter here, but somebody once said to me, you know, we can't cover everything. And it's true, right? Insurance can't cover everything. An excellent example of that that I think parallels to this situation is really the pandemic, right? As the pandemic unfolded, everyone wanted to look to their business interruption insurance on their property programs to cover them for the fact that they were down. And had the language actually allowed for that, which in most cases it's really not, it would have bankrupted the entire insurance industry. Insurance as we know it would cease to exist. So Essentially, what we're looking at here with this war exclusion language is the attempt to uh, enable the insurance world to have more credible and capable legs to stand on in terms of predicting their financial exposure. Um, Russia invading Ukraine really opened their eyes and and the war, um, the cyber war tactics that were being utilized opened the eyes of these cyber insurance leaders to say, wow, what could this look like on a larger scale? Um, you know, we talked about the not Petcha. You, you kind of alluded to that there, Margo, with the bad headlines. And that was property policies, right? But still, on a larger scale, what can we actually sustain? So we're looking at the sustainability of the cyber product here. So my perspective on it is I fully understand and appreciate the importance of protecting the sanctity of the insurance product and building what can be a sustainable product that can help folks. If the type of situations that were to occur that would really trigger this exclusion came to be, we've got a lot bigger issues as a, as a broader community, individually and as businesses. And that's really the point, is it would reach the level that it would really require government intervention and government support just the same way as the pandemic did to survive that. And so that's the key. And now Margo and I are kind of fortunately in the passenger seat of this ride. I get to be the the side the uh, passenger seat driver going, "Hey, I think you're doing it wrong," but I'm not the one actually driving the language. So it's it's an interesting position. I don't necessarily agree with how everything's being worded. I think there's a little bit too much focus on attribution at times, as Margo said, right? Really difficult to prove out. Um, I also think ultimately sometimes there's too much of a focus on intent. I, I am concerned less about war and more about truly just the widespread impact that we can't cover and afford as an industry. And let's focus more on the impact rather than the intent. But, you know, in essence, I, I appreciate and can endorse where they're intending to go. But I think we need a lot of refinement. And what I would tell listeners who are on the buying side of the equation, right, just as the same as my own company, we buy cyber insurance, is have faith that um, in the court of law, certainly they're going to look to favor us. 
the buyers of this product and what the intent is in terms of making sure that we're compensated in the way that we understood we would be when we bought it. And so I think a lot of organizations from an insurance company standpoint are, are going to be really hesitant to pull the trigger on those exclusions because there's going to be massive litigation. Um, and so I think it'll be I think it'll be really obvious when it's time for that to come into effect, unfortunately. Yeah, it's usually always comes down to the litigation aspect uh, and kind of what comes from that. And it's always somebody's got to be the forefront, right? But you never want to be the forefront of uh, that's that's what I tell my clients. I would love to go fight something, but I don't want them. You know, you don't have the pockets, deep pockets to do it. But I mean, it's a very interesting topic that I think we're going to see evolve over time. So last question, and this was another question I got asked last week. I wish I had one of the two of you with me. How do you become more attractive as a client, as a customer to get insurance, right? What what do they need to do as a company to show underwriters, to differentiate themselves? Because I'm sure these underwriters are getting stacks and stacks of applications, right? So what do they need to do to differentiate to get the best premium possible? So I... Another thing that's been interesting so far in 2023 in terms of state of the market and, and acquiring and procuring um, cyber insurance is I'm not seeing a significant shift. And Marco, I'm really curious for your feedback as well in the underwriting controls that are desired. So the things that they were looking for last year are the same types of things they're looking for this year. I think there's definitely an emphasis um, and an absolute appreciation for those organizations, and they're going to get better consideration that are doing more active monitoring, right? So an MDR instead of an EDR, right? A managed detection and response instead of just an endpoint detection response, adding a SOC, um, the security operations center, somebody that's actually monitoring and can respond to incidents on a 24 by seven basis. That's really valuable. And, that, and that's an area I talk to a lot of organizations about working towards over this next year. It's not the same whiplash effect of you have to have MFA or you're not getting coverage, but it's, it's an absolute um, material game changer in terms of your risk profile, but really more importantly, your ability to actually sustain these events, right? So as much as Spencer, I appreciate your question as a broker saying, hey, how do we get you more insurable? Insurable is the byproduct of really you being more secure and having better cyber hygiene, all aimed at your resilience and your ability to sustain incidents and recover quickly without issue. So Yes, I want you to be as qualified as possible, but let's spend money and time and energy and resources that are going to be most effective. And a good example of that, when you talk about like MDR and EDR and those types of solutions, they're not cheap. Um, but if 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 deploying that means you're not going to then need to use your cyber policy and then therefore not be subject to your 50 or $100,000 retention that's on that policy. You are saving money on the back end, right? By spending it on the front end, you're saving it at the time of incident. And so making those business decisions, I think is still really important. And, and Margo, I'm curious for your thoughts as well. Yeah, I, I think oftentimes we'll get asked if I implement an EDR tool, Will the cost of that tool make a dollar for dollar impact on my insurance policy? And the answer is oftentimes going to be no. The pricing of a cyber insurance policy is not going to dollar for dollar match the improvements you're making to your organization. But as Alexander just said, preventing an incident or forwarding an incident or mitigating the cost of what a catastrophic incident could be is so important. And I think 
ways to make an organization far more attractive is really understanding what do you do when an incident happens? I was going to touch a lot about that active monitoring and the proactive side, but also making sure that you're prepared for when that incident happens. Have you done a tabletop? Do you know who to call? Do you have your vendors lined up? All of that is so important because we've seen when an incident occurs, it not go the way it should go as planned. Emotions are involved. The plan goes out the window. Someone doesn't know there is a plan in place. And those are all easily preventable aspects. So I think that's most important. But then going back a step further, the last couple of years, it was all about these are the things that you must do for insurability. And oftentimes it impacted operability. So organizations would say, if I have to do this for insurance, it's going to materially slow down the way we operate. It's going to cause a lot of pain points for my employees. It's going to be problematic for my customers. But if you're saying I need it to get insurance policy, we'll figure it out. We really are past that step now in which a lot of the conversations we're able to have with our clients is talking about how they've improved last year. So when we put that submission on a carrier's desk, we're giving a nice bundle showing how they've improved, why they're a better risk, why they understand the risk, and kind of putting a bit more of that buying power back in the hands of our clients so that it's not the carrier fully driving the conversation, but really a group discussion and there's collaboration as to what is the ultimate needs of the insurance and of the buyer and how do we make the client be happy and build up a, a really a long-standing partnership so that we're not going through those same struggles because there were strong partners over the last couple of years when the market was extremely tough. All very good things that you all are saying. I, I really feel like it comes down to what Alex, you were saying with spending on the front end to save in the back end. Margaret, what you were saying with the preparation aspect because that's something i always preach to my clients that you have to really prepare like it's all preparation um uh, really great insight from both of you today i really appreciate both of you margo and alexander coming on the show uh, i know the audience appreciates it so i thank you both again and spencer do you appreciate that you made it almost the whole call without me making fun of you okay and then everybody else have a great morning great afternoon <laughs> or a great evening Keep the questions and calls coming. You sound like the Truman Show. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. I don't take my, I changed it a little bit so I didn't get copyright infringement. <laughs> Keep the questions, thank calls, comments coming. Us. Yeah, Margo thank you guys for having us. It's a pleasure. Thank you both. And to everybody else, we'll see you on the next one.